and uh, of course, you know, today's topic's an interesting one with you, chocolate. Yes, if anyone wants to send me chocolate, I'm very, very happy about that. No, we've had, I look, I had a little dog in hospital uh, yesterday, came in, had gotten into, get this, 70 grams. Now, that doesn't sound much, does no. it? 70 grams of dark chocolate, and this poor little dog can't use his, we, you know, patients, so we have to, mm. can't use their names. Mm. But he got very, very sick. Oh. Um, chocolate... Uh, most people know that it is toxic to dogs, but not how much. It can actually kill them, and it doesn't take a lot. Dogs are more sensitive to the effects of chocolate. What happens? Than we they would just be. dehydrate a bit. They need to drink a water or something. Or? No, well, you know, when you have chocolate yourself, you know, need to drink picks water. Up, you need to drink water. It yeah. picks you up a little, little bit, gives yeah. you a little bit of a buzz. Well, what that comes from is a compound called methylxanthine, uh, and there's different ones. And theobromine is the main one. Caffeine's another one as well, but there's only small amounts. Theobromine is in chocolate. That's what gives you the buzz. But uh, for dogs, it gives them a big buzz, oh. too much of a buzz. And uh, it actually starts off so they'll get gastrointestinal signs, vomiting and diarrhoea. It progresses to um, heart rhythm abnormalities, tremors, coma, seizures, pretty nasty stuff. Now, this poor old little dog, he pretty much had everything right up to and luckily didn't die, but was um, treated, had the stomach washed out and then had to be monitored. And the worst part about this, Dave, is they can be sick for up to five days. Oh, poor thing. Yeah, so the... The compound is excreted through the kidneys, and what the body does is it likes it so much it reabsorbs the compound out of the bladder. So that's why we get this uh, prolonged recovery. But he's doing doing a lot better. Um, the heart rhythms have settled down, tremors have settled down, so happily doing a lot better today. So just a, a word of warning, a lot of people, I remember a year or two, it might have been last year or the year before. Easter, we, I think we spoke about we it. We do, we yeah. did. But one Christmas we had someone who rang up and they said, that uh, their family had decided not to give presents for Christmas. They were giving chocolates. Right. And the dog actually um, started eating the chocolates overnight, Christmas Eve, and got halfway around the tree before he stopped. And luckily, he didn't get to the dark chocolate, mm -hmm. which is the more dangerous one. So just be a little bit careful. Dogs, uh, they like the um, the sweet and... Uh, rich flavour of the chocolate, so stay away from it. Okay. Pet chat this afternoon. Our vet, Dr David Tabret, is here. Now, a great thing which is coming up. This happens every now and then, and I managed to find out about this one today, and we're getting in early on this one, David, and our guest actually is on the phone right now. Yeah, hi. It's uh, Keith Stevenson's the uh, Lake Macquarie City Council's Manager of Waste Environment and the Rangers as well. Good morning, or good afternoon, Keith. Hi Dave, hi guys, how are you? Good, very good. Um, so we've uh, got the info here. You guys have organised for a microchipping day coming up on Saturday week, I believe. Uh, yeah, that's right. The Rangers um, do uh, a lot of um, responsible pet management promotional type activities. This is just one of those where we uh, actually provide free microchipping uh, at a site um, so people can bring their dogs and cats along and if they're not microchipped they can get it done for free okay now a lot of people often get a little bit confused so about what's involved with microchipping so what actually happens on the day if i rock up with my dog and uh, uh on a leash obviously um and it hasn't been microchipped before what actually is going to happen to him um well they'll certainly be required to fill out a uh, a form
form, which gives us details that we need to uh, include on the companion animals register. Yep. Uh, from there, there'll be uh, three rangers who will be doing the chipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, they simply need to uh, wait for uh, the ranger to be available and uh, the ranger will uh, perform or insert the microchip uh, towards the, um, the back of the neck and that's really the end of the process. Um, the details, as I said, get recorded on the companion animals register and uh, from that point, if the, uh, the animal uh, is over the six months of age, uh, they're then required to register it, but council would follow through with uh, with a letter at a later date to remind them of that. Okay, so it becomes then a two-step process to have the microchip placed and then the details are matched up and when the animal is at six months of age, you're required to have it registered. That's right. The legislation requires the microchipping at 12 weeks of age um, and a lot of um, uh, breeders and that have that done and it actually is a requirement for those people to have that done before the animal's sold. But yep. there's probably many of uh, many uh, cats and dogs out there that haven't had that done. So this is an opportunity for people to uh, uh, have the microchipping done, get the details on the system and ultimately I think the most important thing is if the animal uh, goes missing, and it is found or the rangers pick it up, we actually scan the animal, uh, identify who the owner is, and the first thing we do is uh, try and take it back um, to the owner before we need to take it to the pound. Yeah, now obviously um, in my role away from here, but in work we have often get stray animals brought to us and uh, exactly as you said, the first thing you want to do is scan them, see if we can reunite them with their owners as quickly as possible. Um, one of the things, Keith, we've found is a lot of people may move house and they're not always keeping their details on the register up to date. Uh, that's correct. That is a problem because we'll often find um, um, old owner details and we'll make contact with that person, um, believing them to be the owner. And we find that they've sold the animal or given the animal away, but they haven't actually uh, notified us of those changes um, unfortunately, and probably goes back to the old days where an animal that hasn't been identified goes to the pound and we then need to rely on the actual owner um, doing their searches and um, locating the animal uh, at the pound and, of course, going through the release process. Um, so it is extremely important that um, uh, people who either uh, move address or change contact details, etc., or actually sell the animal um, notify uh, the council so we can update the records. Yeah, yeah, I think that's good advice. And uh, old phone numbers, old addresses and change of owners always need to be updated. Um, I've also had some feedback. People have been concerned about the actual microchip process. They're wondering, you know, is it going to be harmful to their pet? It seems a fairly quick and safe procedure. Uh, that's right. Um, I'm certainly personally not aware of any issues associated or adverse issues associated with Microchipping, I think it's no, no more than uh, we would get uh, as a needle, except it's obviously implanting a chip. There's no discomfort to uh, the animal. And uh, once the uh, microchipping is completed, um, I, um, I, the animal really doesn't know much more about it than that. Yeah. All right. And so we've got uh, the, the microchipping day is going to be at uh, over at Warners Bay at the Pet Stock store on Hillsborough Road on Saturday the 17th of December, and I think between 10 and 2, is that correct? Uh, that's correct. If yep. um, there's certainly a demand, our rangers would be able to go uh, further in the, into the day 
so long as uh, pest stock remain open. But uh, that's the optimum time for everyone to scoot along and um, take their animals. Uh, the staff will get them to fill out the identification details in terms of ownership details, etc., and then uh, they'll um, be uh, handed over to the ranger to actually do the um, the microchipping. So it's a fairly quick process. We wouldn't expect too many delays. And the times that we've run these before, uh, it's been uh, fairly quick turnover times. Oh, excellent. Now, um, obviously, you guys are Lake Macquarie City Council. Um, other council jurisdictions have run similar events. So is this just for ratepayers in Lake Macquarie City Council region? No, no. We, anyone who turns up, uh, we would um, go through the process um, the same way. We're not restricting it to okay. Lake yeah, Macquarie. Very um, good. The, the real purpose of the exercise is to ensure that uh, we get those dogs and cats that aren't microchipped, microchipped so Excellent. in turn we've got details uh, of uh, who those animals belong to. Oh, good work. Okay. Great news. Thank you for that, Keith. Thanks for talking about it this morning. We'll give it another mention on the show next Wednesday too. We'll hold on to that yes. information. And Keith making himself available there from Lake Macquarie Council. And we go to our phone calls, 49216216. If you'd like to be a part of Pet Chat, we'd love to have you on the show today. And we go to a call right now from Lock and Var. And good afternoon, Beth. Hello, Dr. Dave. Hello, Beth. How are you going? Hi. Hi. Now, what can we do for you? I was just wondering how often an adult dog should be vaccinated. Um, well, it's, it's an area not without some controversy because yes. uh, obviously we've always said yearly vaccinations um, when we're dealing with uh, the various diseases that we've got. But more recently we've seen evidence that uh, some of these vaccines, once they're given in adult life, provide a longer period of duration. Now, there's two. There's probably two things at play here. There's one is the immunity that they're being protected against, and the other is the need for an annual checkup. And I think uh, we do need to be careful that if we start saying, "Well, you know, we go for a three yearly vaccine or whatever it is," that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the dog, you know, should uh, only go three years between visits, because like, like us with. Um, you know, going to the dentist or a checkup of the doctor yourself, you probably need to go more regularly, even when there's uh, you're not in a crisis situation or there's problems. So there's things like skin diseases, um, lumps and bumps, and dental disease can all be checked up on a yearly basis, and things done before they turn into a real problem. But back to okay. the back to the vaccination issue. Um, it's an area where there's been some, as I said, controversy. What people are doing now is looking at uh, the levels of immunity. Now, you can do that either by blood tests where you can actually assess, say, for parvovirus, which is one of the most common ones that we see, um, how, you know, the particular dog is it in a risky environment and you need high levels and actually measuring that. And if you think, well, the levels are lower, then uh, necessary, then obviously a vaccination might be needed. In very young and very older animals, I think we probably see a need for more frequent vaccination when, you know, not dropping back completely. So we're still sticking with the puppy scheme of three vaccinations and then yeah. they're, they're done again at, say, 12 or 15 months of age and then reassessing on an annual basis uh, the risk and whether or not your dog needs that vaccine. So there are three-year vaccines available. They cost about the equivalent of three times one-year vaccine, but um, it really is a case-by-case basis, I think. How does that so go? Are, are vets generally recommending? <coughs> um, I think you'd just have to... 
Yeah, there is some policy documents that have been put out by the Australian Small Animal Veterinary Association. Um, not everyone agrees with the findings. Uh, however, there's um, and a lot of the evidence has come from the United States. So we probably need to assess that in light of what's going on in Australia. The interesting thing I would note is that one of the most common diseases that we use vaccines for is kennel cough, and in actual fact, the immunity from the vaccine is, not, first of all, not 100%, and secondly, does not last more than 12 months. So even if you decide, um, I'm going to go for a three-yearly vaccine, if your dog is likely to be exposed to other dogs, not necessarily boarding kennels, but even just walking down the street, then you're going to need to go back every 12 months to get a kennel cough vaccine. So we can't just throw everything into one bucket and say we're going to do one visit every three years. I think we go back to what I said. We treat them on a case-by-case basis. Thank you for that call, Beth. Hopefully that helps you out there. Beth calling us from Lochinvar. It's 19 to 1. It's Pet Chat this afternoon right through to 1 o'clock, 49216216, if you'd like to talk to our vet, Dr. David Tabret. And we go to Cameron Park and say good afternoon, Wayne. Hi, how are you going today? Hi, Wayne. How, how are you? Very well, thanks. Now, what can we do for you? Uh, yeah, my daughter's got a six-month-old, approximately six-month-old uh, wolfhound cross. Yep. And I just wanted to know how long before it's purred. Of course, I've got a 18-month-old female bull Arab, and they're starting to do funny things. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got the the, uh, the female is the older? Yes. Okay. And you want to know how, how old before he is likely to be fertile? Yes, because I don't want um, don't want to breed them. I just, you know. Oh right, okay. So, are you intending to breed them down the track, or not? Uh, not together, no. Oh well, actually, are you you're intending to breed her? Her, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, pretty much now. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he might. the th- The thing you're asking about is um, his uh, testosterone drive starts to pick up. And the potential is that he could be fertile. So this is about the age of puberty for him. And normally uh, if we're saying, okay, they should be desexed by this age so that they're unlikely to um, mate with anyone else uh, before this. But I would normally say about six months. Okay. So I think if you you need to be very careful, keep them apart. Um, If there's, uh, you know, unless there's a a great need to um, breed with them, then they're better off to be desexed. They'll be happier and healthier in the long run. All right, David. All right. Okay, thank you very All right. much. Thanks for the call. It's Pitch Hit this afternoon. There's a free line waiting there right now if you'd like to call through. 49216216 is the phone number. We'd love to have your company today, and you get to talk to our vet, Dr. David Tabret. Let's go back to the phones right now. And joining us from East Maitland, good afternoon, John. Yes, hello. Just, um, I've got a problem with my little terrier cross. He's... A ten-year-old, and he's in company with two other dogs we have, and they don't have a problem. But uh, poor little fellow, he's always um, very itchy, and he's very hot body all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we give him the regular monthly flea treatment and wash him and all that sort of thing. But had him previously on cortisone and so on, but uh, no results as, as yet. Okay, so is he on cortisone at the moment? No, he's not. No. Mm-hmm. Um, and. With the, you've got other dogs as well, you said. Yeah, and they're fine. They're not, no, no itch, no they're nothing not with them. So where's this little guy? Where's he scratching? Uh, everywhere. All over his body? All over, yes. Uh, okay. Predominantly the belly area, uh-huh. but it, it will be everywhere. <clears throat> Chewing his feet and scratching and 
Just okay. Yeah. Yep. And how long has this been going on for? Like, well, Virtue's whole life on and off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, figured as much. Okay. So, couple of important things. First thing is, and you mentioned about monthly free tr- flea treatment. Yes. That's that's very important. Uh, the reason being is that very often itchy dogs can have a number of different possible causes, but if you don't have uh, control of the fleas, you'll never get control of the skin. Yes. Okay, so you need to make sure you treat all dogs and cats in the household. Yep. Okay. Uh, they're all done uh, <coughs> like clockwork. So. Okay, excellent. Um, second thing is then you uh, a lot of times people will say that and then they go away and treat them and they say, oh, he's still itchy, so it's not the fleas. But the bottom line is if you don't get control of fleas, you won't get control of other things. Yep. So the most likely thing from what you've described, and very much this is a visual diagnosis, so we have to look at them, but from the pattern that you've described, I would be worried about a grass allergy. Right. And this is a very common thing that we see in small dogs, obviously where they're getting access and they're living outside or even just pollens and grass seed that floats in so even dogs that are entirely inside can do this as well right uh, anytime they have contact with their skin or they breathe it in breathe in the grass uh, pollens that will in, uh, initiate a allergic reaction which comes out as itchy skin itchy feet belly and when you said hot bodied what that actually is is there's more blood flowing through the skin okay right. Um, and that's because the skin's inflamed. So the treatments are difficult because it's an allergy. It's inherent in the dog's body. There are actually a, a vaccine that can be made. So you, you go to a, dermat- a veterinary dermatologist and mm-hmm. they do some skin testing and possibly some blood testing where they actually try and find out what your dog is allergic to. And then you can get a vaccine made up against that protein that's causing the uh, aller- allergic response. Okay, it takes a while, uh, but it has a very good success rate in terms of reducing a the amount of itching and b the amount of medication that's needed to control it. So right. it's worth investigating, particularly in a dog of that age, because you will find that pretty much their pattern of allergy is um, is established. And compare that to say a two-year-old dog, where they're getting exposed to a new type of pollen this year and a new type of pollen next year. At age 10, you've probably been exposed to everything. So going to see a veterinary dermatologist would be probably the best idea. You need a referral from your vet for that. Unfortunately, they're in Sydney, so it's um, mm. it's a little bit of a trip. But I think at that age, I'd be saying that's the, going to be the best avenue. We've got Marty on the line. He's at Mark's Point. G'day, Marty. There you go, mate. Hi, Marty. Now, you've got a Moodle. Yeah, mate, yeah. A Moodle, so a Maltese cross poodle. That's correct, yep. All right, so what's going on with your Moodle? Mate, he's just moved house. Uh, she took him, and uh, uh, he likes to relieve himself and everything. Oh. I think he's marked his territory personally, but she's thought about getting him stipped, and, well, that's not going to happen. How old is he? He's just over two years old. Two years old. Well, <coughs> he's... Um, the change of environment is certainly going to be contributing to his behaviour. He needs to mark everything. And um, part of this is testosterone-driven. So he's uh, he's probably th- thinking, I've got to get out there and mark all the territory. And I wouldn't necessarily say that it's going to slow down, as in, you know, once he's done it once, he won't go back and do it again, because dogs actually go back and do it again and again and again. 
So he may well continue that habit. Now, part of it, the need for doing it might reduce, though, once he knows that that's my bed and this is, you know, that everything, he knows where everything is. So that's, uh, that's not a behavior that's necessarily going to disappear because once he's changed house, he's, um, an environment, he just needs to establish that. Um, what happens with, uh, dogs, why they do it desex, uh, you know, whether they're desexed or not, um, is that it's a dominance behavior or trying to mark out that territory and say, okay, this is all my territory. And that's very much driven by testosterone. And so if he doesn't have testosterone, he's, he thinks, oh, well, I don't really care. I don't need to do that. Okay, so that's one of the reasons why dogs, um, when they're desexed, they may not uh, do it as much, but I wouldn't guarantee it either. Some dogs so are desexed. No de- guarantee won't do it? No, no guarantee won't do it, but... It's um, not going to happen anyway. If you, I had a dog when I was um, 21, 20, it was in fourth year at uni, and um, who developed testicular cancer. So my line is, unless you, this is the dog of the century that needs to be bred from, get him desexed before he's six years of age. Mm, so that's you, not what I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I can only tell you what's best for your dog. So yeah, yeah, they do get things like prostate disease. They get testicular cancer. I've been through it, and um, and it wasn't pretty. And uh, you know, he's he's not going to change his um, personality. He'll, he might decide that running down uh, the street and chasing uh, other dogs on heat is less attractive, but that's not such a bad thing because more dogs, dogs that are um, not desexed, entire dogs, get more problems in terms of getting hit by cars, getting into fights because they've got this drive inside them to jump the fence and go and check out the neighbourhood. Yeah, good okay. Is there anything I can buy from a pet shop or anything that I can spray uh, around and stop from doing it? Um, I tried scat, something called scat, but it didn't work. Yeah, there, we really need to talk to Danny about that, and he's off today. But he has um, brought in products in the past that we've referred to, um, and some of them are obviously better than others. So uh, I think it would be worth uh, chatting to a good pet shop um, because there are some sprays. Again, they're not 100%. But, you know, if you can reduce the problem by 50% or 80%, then that's got to be you're better off at this stage. But, yeah. yeah. Good luck with that, Marty. We hope that goes okay and you get to sort that out. Now, it is pitch chat this afternoon until 1 o'clock. Right, getting closer to Christmas, people like to involve their animal in because their animal is part of the family and they like to buy gifts. Have yes. you got any ideas? What do you think is a good gift for a cat or a well, dog? Well, we did say no chocolates, but... You can actually get, uh, if you, a lot of pet shops and vets as well now, at this, you're very right, at this season, you can get Christmas hampers and stuff, and they've got obviously stuff made for pets. And some of the toys that are in there, um, you do need to be careful. It's like giving toys to a small child, mm. okay? So we don't want things that are tinsel or small balls or stuff that they could choke on. We don't want any ribbons, things like that. We do see pets that get, uh, things caught around their tongue that can get stuck down in their throat or they're choking on or it ends up in their stomach. So, you know what, I think fill up a fill up a Kong mm. and um you could put some uh, special uh treats in there inside the Kong and they can spend all day licking on it. But it's uh, pretty much the same. Um the one thing we do see Dave which I also wanted to mention was 
don't feed your dog any leftover ham or pork mm. or stuff like that. Not good, no, no. No, we get this thing called Boxing Day Syndrome. Okay, so at the end of Christmas Day, people uh, gather the scraps or the ham bone and go, we'll just give that to the dog. And by the next day, Boxing Day, the dog's quite ill with gut upsets, pancreatitis. So stay away from the ham bones. We've got David with us right now from Singleton. He's got a greyhound. Is it a winner? No, it's a little Italian greyhound, actually. So oh, gee. <laughs> what can we do for you, Dave? Mate, um, she's, she's one and a half, but she's, and she's got very bad breath. We've tried uh, little bits of peppermint in the water that the vet gave us. Yep. She lives on um, chicken necks all the time, eats a couple of good o's here and there, but apart from that, chicken neck is a main diet. And, yeah, just can't get rid of a bad breath. We've tried and just nothing. It's just really bad so what we actually see it's an interesting thing with these guys because um we do see lots of them get bad breath and i think that in part their their mouths are actually so long that um we do sometimes get small amounts of food sitting up under the gum next to these teeth uh, it's almost like the opposite, like with the dogs that have got the really pushed in faces, they get problems with food because the teeth are twisted. But with these yep. these guys, I sometimes see quite a high incidence of dental disease. I also wonder about their immune system when we see that. But um, that sort of stuff that you can't actually change. You're doing all the right things as far as diets go. One of the things that a lot of people do or try to do is perhaps brushing their dog's teeth. And you, yeah. you can get special toothbrushes and specialised toothpaste for dogs. You can't use human toothpaste. Yep. All right. Bottom line, diet makes a difference. Secondly is regular teeth cleaning, which means it has to be done under anaesthetic uh, yeah. by the vet because they'll actually scale right up under the gums. All right. Is diet fine? Like the chicken necks are fine? She's, that's... Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not a complete diet, so you're not getting all the nutrition in there. So you do need to have probably, uh, one of the foods you could investigate is a food called TD, which is designed for dogs with dental disease. And it's actually the fibers in the food split and they clean the teeth as they eat. So it might be worth looking at that. And that way you know that you're getting the right nutritional balance in there. Chicken necks and so on, chicken wings can go on top of that. Just be aware that, uh, you know, if you put four in a bowl or something, that she doesn't woof them down and get an obstruction in the gut. That's also a concern. But regular teeth brushing at home, once a year dental cleaning by your vet and uh, using the TD food, I think you'll get it all under control. All right, good luck with that. Thank you for your call, David. Pet Chat, Wednesday afternoon, 2 and URFM 103.7.